Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Anything else? No, that's to do. How's everybody doing this morning? Glad to hear it. You ready for the, the late August warm-up? Oh my goodness, I've been spoiled. I don't know about you, but I have loved sleeping with the windows open and the fan on. And uh, those days are about to come to an end. I guess that's to be expected after last summer. Uh, but I'm happy about it. Anyway, uh, I'd like to welcome everybody out, let you know we are happy to have you here today. Now, whether you're visiting with us or not, we have a uh, rather monumental event going on this afternoon after church. A bit of spontaneity to this. But from what I'm told, it is the oldest male in the building celebrating his 80th birthday. Would anybody like to challenge his title for that? But Bob Staniford is celebrating 80 years. Bob, why don't you wave at us real quick here? There he is. Thank you, Bob. I don't know if Bob was aware of this, but you're all invited after church today to have some cake and punch immediately after services uh, to help Bob celebrate 80 years. And uh, wow, you still have your driver's license? <laughs> My mother turned 75 this year and we discovered that once you, t- I think it's a new, new law or a new rule, whichever way you want to say it, in the state of Illinois, after 75, you have to take your driving test Every year. Is that correct, Janet? <laughs> so anyway, guys, we are, we are happy to have you here today. We're excited about what's going on here at Greater Alton. We've been looking at the book of Acts. Tim has been preaching through the book of Acts. If you notice on your bulletin, it says the Axemen. And we've been looking at different characters in the book of Acts. And uh, seeing what we can learn from them. For years now, we have said we want to be a church like what you read about in the book of Acts. And in reality, what we want to be is we want to be people of faith like you read about in the book of Acts. And as a church, we want to be a group of those people. And uh, we've been looking at various various characters, various stories, and and to see what we can glean from that, what we can learn from their lives. Uh, Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I don't know how many of you read through the book of Acts during this. I know some of the discipleship groups that exist here uh, that meet through the weeks, through the week, they were going through the book of Acts and some of them continue to do that because they're not done. I did my normal, I started to read the book of Acts and didn't finish it. How many of you ever do that? Start a book and not finish it? It's more of a pattern than I care to admit, but it's true, so I'll admit it. Um... But one of the things I realized as I was reading through the part that I did is there's some things jumped out at me. Something jumped out. And when something jumps out at me, uh, I figure the Holy Spirit wants me to pay attention to it. You see, I have a tendency. I don't know if I believe most people are this way in, in varying degrees. But the more you're exposed to something, the more you kind of, if you're familiar with it, and you don't pay as much attention to it as, as, as well. They say a story you're familiar with, you better slow down when you read it. Because you're missing something. Because you think you know it all already. You think you've got all the information. And I have that tendency when I read through the Bible. There are certain words that I kind of read past. I read through them. I don't stop and think about what they mean. Or what it means to me. What it should mean to me. If, it, if what it says is real. There's certain words like the word joy. You know, joy isn't something that I've been, oh, I want to be full of joy. I, I, no, no, I, I lived the majority of my life in a depressed state, and I thought people who had joy were annoying. And so it wasn't something that I typically gravitated towards. You know, okay, the fruit of the Spirit's joy, great. Um, another one that's listed in Galatians 5 as the fruits of the Spirit is, is gentleness. You know, gentleness, it's a fruit of the Spirit. That means that if you're living the way God wants you to live, gentleness should be something that is visible in your life. Somewhere else in the Bible or elsewhere in the New Testament, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Can I tell you, I've never had gentleness as a goal in my life. I mean, I am a man. Okay, I am not supposed to be gentle, right? Well, God says differently. 
And so there's certain words I've found that I have this tendency. I don't believe I'm the only one. But I have this tendency where I look at words and I go, I haven't paid attention to that word. Look at that. That word's popping up a lot. Maybe I should pay more attention to that. And the word that popped up, it's been popping up through my studies for the last few years. But the word that popped up as I was reading the book of Acts is the word power. Or powerful. And guys, that's one of the things that I just noticed is that these people didn't just believe. They didn't just change their religion. They didn't just become religious. They didn't just go to church. They had powerful lives. Things that they did and words that they spoke, the God of this universe says that they had power when they spoke. They had power when they lived. And I had to look at that and I had to say, do we think that same way? I mean, when is the last time you've listened to Tim preach up here and you said, that was really a powerful lesson? Last week? (laughs) Week before? (laughs) But the word power, how many of you feel like that describes your life? How many of you feel like, I have a powerful faith? I have the power to deal with whatever comes through my way because of my faith in Jesus. Most of us don't. When we look at power, it's it's a word that I read right past. We're going to read a passage here in a minute that that really struck me. It's in Ephesians 1 a few years ago and really got me setting on this path. But let's look at this, guys. There's two, note, there's two verses in your notes. And then we're going to read about five or six more, from majority of them from the book of Acts, a few others from, from, from the other letters in the New Testament. And they just, <clears throat> please notice the emphasis upon power and how prevalent power was in the early believers. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, this is Jesus speaking before He ascends into heaven. And He's telling the apostles, He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, it says, So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Acts 14.1, it says, The same thing happened at Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. Acts 26, where Tim preached on a week or two back, and the Apostle Paul is telling his story, and he's talking about, this is Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul, telling about his mission and his purpose after he becomes a believer. He says, yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Acts chapter 11 and verse 20 and 21. It says, However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Ephesians 1, and this is that verse I was referring to that just struck me a few years back. It says, I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And finally, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Guys, when you look through those, when you see all those verses and you look at them together, you notice something very clearly. And that was pow- that power was something that was a natural part of the, belie- of the early believers' lives. The people who followed Jesus didn't live a weak, spineless life, but they had power in their lives. And God expected them to have power in their lives. So much so that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Ephesians 1, he says, my prayer is that you can know this power that's available to you. And guys, I want to let you know that's my prayer for Greater Alton. I want us to be a church that knows God's power. And knows what it's all about. 
You see, guys, now when you look at the word power in the Bible, it's used, depending on the translation, over a hundred times. Sometimes it uses the words translated the word authority or control or, or, or dominion. But it's all talking about the same, that there's powers that exist. And guys, when you look at the word power, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says that there is a great or marked ability to do or act. Capability of doing or accomplishing something. A marked ability to do or act. Guys, when we talk about us as believers having a, an ability to do or act, it's to do or act what God wants us to do. And I don't know about you, but I have, I've... I've... How do I want to say? The feeling of power has, has yet to completely dominate me in my life. Is that, is that fair to say? I mean, when I look at my, my, my life as a Christian, it's been marked not by power, but by weakness. It's been marked by an inability to do or act. And as a 50-year-old man, I'm still fighting <laughs> to do and act the way God wants me to do and act. But I'm learning that I have the power to do so. The difference is, I used to try it so often on my own power, and I'd fail so often, that I didn't think it was possible. And I don't know how many of you are here today that feel that way. But guys, we want to, I just want to tell you that power is something that God has available to you, and He expects you to exercise. So let's go, guys. We're going to just talk about three quick facts about spiritual power. Now, I say spiritual power because, as we're going to be talking about there's, in a minute, there's more than one power. But the first thing, guys, is I'm under the influence of a power right now. I don't care who you are. You may think, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I just don't like God's way of living. And so I'm just not going to choose it. Um, and I'm going to live under my own power. The Bible's very clear that there are two powers that are available. This is illustrated. This verse isn't in your notes, but it's in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. This is what it says. Don't you know that if you offer you to be someone's slave, you must obey that master? And then it goes on to say, either your master is sin or your master is obedience. And what he's saying is, you're going to listen either to sin, which is the devil, Satan, or you're going to listen to God. You're going to be obedient to God. All of us that right now are living under one of those two conditions. Now, I've got to say, you know, it gets confusing because... We tend to want to, Christians want to tend to believe they're perfect sometimes, or at least act like they're perfect. And we don't like to admit that there's more than one power that's available. And just because we say, I'm under the power of of, of obedience, I'm under the power of God, doesn't mean that you can't, in some area of your life, slip back to the power of Satan. Did you know that? I mean, all you got to do is look at, for your own study, you go to Galatians chapter 2. And the Apostle Peter, one of the guys that hung out with Jesus for three full years, big gun in the, in the early church. And you find that the Apostle Paul has to confront him because there's an area of his life where he is more concerned with what people think than what God says. And there's no doubt, when he's around these people, when he's, when he's taking action based off of what people think and, instead of what God says, and in this particular situation, what people think and what God says are two different things. Okay? When he's taking his actions, who's he under the control of? It's not God. Because God says, Peter, I want you to act differently. And so we need to understand that, guys, when we say I'm under the power of God, I'm under the power of Satan, it's a general situation. If you say, I'm a, you know, if you recognize, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're definitely under the power of the devil. That doesn't mean there's no good in your life. It doesn't mean that there's nothing in your life that doesn't line up with what God has to say. It means that the general path of your life is dictated not by God, but by the devil. And so, guys, that's what we're looking at here. Um, but there's two powers, and you're going to be under one of them right now. Ephesians 2 talks about this. He draws a clear line. About what they used to, the power they used to be under. He says, in the past you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. 
He rules the world and His Spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey. Who doesn't obey God. Once we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and our minds. You see, folks, you're under one of these powers right now. The question is, which one are you going to have? In Matthew 22, Jesus ran into some people like this. Who are they? There's a group of people called the Sadducees. They're trying to trick him with a question about the resurrection, which we're going to look at real in depth next week. But he, uh, this is what he says. Jesus replies. He says, "Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. You don't know the power of God." You see, guys, there's two powers that exist in this world, and you're going to be influenced predominantly by one or the other. Now, the problem is that we tend to minimize both powers. Do you know that? We tend to minimize both the power of the devil and the power of God. And I don't believe that's by accident that this goes on predominantly in America. Um, for years, we have uh, there's been a discussion... Most churches, I say most churches, a lot of churches today, a lot of Christians today believe that demon possession is not possible in today's world. Okay? And they look at that in America because why? You just see very little of it that looks like it could be demon possession. Now, when you, if you, they also say that they believe God took away our ability to deal with the demons. And that's a whole other situation. I don't believe that. But he's, he tells them that. Or that's what people believe. And they say, demon possession is impossible today. Now, if you talk to a missionary from a third world country, they're going to tell you a completely different story. And the reason is, they run into demon possession on a much more uh, frequent case. It's, it's just, it's there more. Now, why is that, do you think? I, I mean, we don't know for facts. But my belief is that for as far as America is concerned, Satan doesn't choose to reveal himself. He, he has decided that his most powerful weapon is to make us think he has little or no influence. That is the truth. Because what happens? If you don't believe He exists or if you don't believe He has any power, what happens? You don't do what it tells you to do in First Peter where Peter tells him, you need to be on your guard. Be self-controlled and alert. Because the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. You know, the lion is much, much easier to devour someone when they're not looking out for him. And that's, I believe, what the devil has decided to do in America, by and large, is to not present himself out in the open, but to work behind the scenes and to make people think that that's just a bunch of voodoo. That's a bunch of witch, witch doctor stuff. You don't have to worry about that. It's really just a matter of self-control. It's a matter of self-discipline. It's not a matter of the fact that you're an enemy that has great power. Guys, we also tend to, as a result of that, you know what we do? We minimize God's power. You see, because if we don't see the devil having any power, we don't need any power to counteract that. We can do it on our own. I mean, and it don't take very long. You just go look at the, at the, at the row of magazines at the, at the grocery store, and you're going to see that we believe in people. We're independent people here in America. You know, there's a magazine entitled Self Magazine. You know, I can do it myself. Self-help seminars. Self-help books. Seven habits of highly effective people. We tend to be people who say we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can help ourselves. And we don't need God. And I just want to tell you, that impacts believers in Jesus Christ. We have that same tendency. You see, guys, we were challenged by this just recently. And it was, some of you have heard details about this. Um, 
about this. We had a situation here at Greater Alton where we believe there was a person, a member here at Greater Alton, who may be under the influence or controlled or possessed by a demon. We had a situation like that exist. I, I won't get into all the details other than to say, you know, it wasn't, there was no head spinning, there was no levitating, there was no spitting of green pea soup. Um, there wasn't anything crazy like that. But there was evidence of this in this person's life where we believed there was demonic activity. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never been involved in driving on a demon. That's not something I have experience at. But I had a choice to make. You see what happened, guys? And, and those of us that were involved in this, it, it really didn't end up being about this person for us, though we helped that person. It really had a matter of what's my faith like. What do I believe? Do I believe that God's given me a power? Which power do I going to exercise here? Which power exists? Which power doesn't? See, because if I don't believe that's a possibility, what am I going to do? My prayers are going to be weak. My praying for this individual won't be powerful because I don't believe there needs to be a power. I'm just kind of shooting the crap, you know. Let's see what happens. Roll the dice. Guys, we've got to understand... That there are two powers, and we're going to live under one of them or the other. Guys, the second thing, and this is really what we've already talked about a little bit, but number two is I choose which power controls me. I choose which power controls me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes Timothy and he tells him about terrible things that are going to be going on in the last days. And he tells him about people who are going to be unloving, unforgiving, disobedient to their parents. For you over there. <clears throat> terrible things. And in all seriousness, guys, it, that is, it is interesting. He says there's going to be terrible times and disobedient to your parents is one of the things. Okay? That he lists in this, hor- this list of bad things. But he sums it all up in verse 5. He says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. <clears throat> Can I tell you that I believe... This describes a large percentage of Christianity in America today. Can I tell you that I believe, to a large degree, this has described Greater Alton in our past? We're religious, but we reject the power that's really available to us. You see, guys, what is he saying? They reject it. If they reject it, what does that mean? They have the option, they have the choice. And we need to understand that we have a choice right now of what power we are going to live under. You have a you have a choice to decide what you're going to what power you're going to live under in your individual life. Are you going to live under the power of your own self, which is honestly a deception of the devil that says I can do this without anybody else. I don't need God for this. I don't need to pray about this. I'll only pray when I think I need something or when, you know, it's a 911 prayer. God, this is obviously bigger than me. <clears throat> Bail me out and I will take care of this myself. See, guys, that's the, the choice we have is which power we're going to live under. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is one of these deals that, that what we're talking about today, and as I, as I, as I, after I finished my notes and I looked through about this, a lot of times we try to be really practical. And today I don't have a lot of practical stuff. Honestly, all I'm doing is trying to open up your eyes. Because in all honesty, I can't begin to get practical with what's going on in everybody's life today. All I want you to do is recognize this, because, what, because I don't believe... You have to be dependent upon what I tell you to apply this. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I believe if you sit there and you're looking at this and you're going, oh my goodness, I don't live, I don't trust God. I don't follow His power the way I need to. I believe the Holy Spirit can give you the power to do that. <clears throat> Guys, you look in your notes here and there's a verse. It says in Galatians 4, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> this is what it says. It says, now that you know God... Or should I say now that God knows you? Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You see, guys, I believe that there are spiritual principles in this world that, that appear to work, but they pale in comparison to what God can do in your life. I don't know how else to put that. Seven habits of highly effective people, that's some good stuff. It pales in comparison to what God can do. I don't know how else to put that. And guys, we've got to decide what way we're going to do it. You know, guys, we have... I believe that Greater Alton has been a church that has tended to trust our structure and our methods and our, uh, our ministries... More than we've trusted Jesus. Okay, and I understand that's... What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we tend to look at how a person can be helped and we trust a ministry instead of we trust in Jesus working in their lives all by himself. Okay? It's interesting to know, we used to have a recovery ministry. And I, I believe it was a good thing. Do you know we see nothing about a recovery ministry in the New Testament? Now, the question is, there's nothing wrong with the recovery ministry unless you trust the 12 steps more than you trust Jesus. And guys, that's what we're getting down to. Which has more power? Do people help through 12 steps? Yeah. Go to any AA meeting. Go to any, any NA meeting. But can I tell you, I believe the, powerful, the, the power of God is more powerful than a 12-step program. You can have a 12-step program that doesn't include God at all. The question is, though, what are you going to trust more? Are you going to trust the structure, the method, the ministry? Did you know, this is going to be blasphemy, I know, I know, I know. But did you know that it's, a per it's possible for a person to become a follower of Jesus without going through seven studies? Did you know that? I say that if you're unfamiliar with it. We, we have a, a group of seven studies that we use to help somebody uh, that's seeking God to become a follower of Jesus. And you find nothing of them in the Bible. I mean, they come from the Bible, don't get me wrong. But it does, the Bible never says here, in the appendix, it says here, use these seven studies, use these verses to, to help somebody become a Christian. It's a method that we use. The question is, do we trust taking somebody through those studies more than we trust God creating real faith in their life? And guys, those are just, those are just a couple of examples about that. And guys, I just want to just, just share with you. Okay, because I believe God is working. God is working in, in a powerful way. When Tim and Alan and I meet as elders on Wednesday morning, we've had discussions about our studies. And I just want to tell you, we see some real drawbacks to the way we do that. Do you know that? I don't want to scare anybody. Okay, I know that sounds like blasphemy. But we realize there's, there's some things that I'm going to be talking about next week. About how there's... I've, I've asked people over and over and over. I said, where, where in those studies do you emphasize the resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Where do you talk about that? And most people are like... Well, maybe here. Did you know that Romans 10 says that if believing that God raised Jesus from the dead is part, you have to do that to be saved. And we don't, we don't, we don't emphasize it hardly at all. Why? We're trusting our studies. We're trusting our methods more than what we trust God. More than we trust the power of God. Guys, that's what this verse is talking about here. He says, why do you want to go back to the weak and useless principles of this world? Well, he's saying you're, you're trusting a method. You're trusting rules. 
You're trusting laws instead of trusting God. See, guys, and I, we read this, this verse just before in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Does this describe you? I'm just going to ask you, can you really say, I know the power of God? Can you say that? You see, guys, that was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1. And I want to tell you, that's my prayer for this church. Can I ask you to make it your prayer too? That you want to be part of a church that, that, that knows God's power? You see, guys, ignorance is not bliss. Is it? No. Jesus is saying what? You don't know the power of God. Yay! That's what bliss is. Not No. It is not. He wants you to understand. He wants you to know it. The third thing, guys, the third fact we want to talk about <clears throat> is which power I choose is determined by what I believe. Which power I choose to live under is, by, is determined by what I believe. See, if you don't believe that God has the power to help you overcome whatever sin you're struggling with in your life, you won't try and you won't overcome it. You won't take action. And guys, I said earlier, I mentioned earlier about the situation where we had someone who we believed may be, may be possessed by a demon. Guys, I just want to tell you that challenged my faith. I don't know how else to put it. You see... <clears throat> Because if I didn't believe it was possible for a person to be possessed by a demon today, I wouldn't exercise the authority that Jesus gives me. And if I didn't believe, one of the things that Jesus said is that people are going to know we're followers. The evidence of us following Jesus is we drive out demons. And I understand the whole argument about, well, that was just the first century. I understand all that. But I had to sit here. Here's what I had to decide. If this person was indeed possessed by a demon, and I didn't believe it was possible, or I didn't believe I could drive it out or be part of driving it out, okay, because it wasn't me by myself at all, I wouldn't have done anything. I wouldn't have taken action. I would have lived under the power of this world, the power of what... 20th century American Christianity teaches that says that doesn't exist anymore and the person would I would leave the purpose person helpless. And that was really why we came to the decision. We looked at this individual and we looked at their struggles and we looked at what was going on and we did not know what else to do. They had received we had done everything we knew how to do. Medically it had been done everything that they knew how to do and we were still here with this problem and we got to the point Alan was the one that did the spearhead of this. He was to the Alan was to the point where he was a right off, ready to write off the situation to say, "We cannot do anything about this. We don't know what else to do. Uh, maybe they'll be institutionalized. We don't know. Uh, be, we'll be free of it then." Um, and when he had that thought, he thought, "How faithless is this?" You see, guys, we were challenged to say, "What do we believe?" What power are we going to exercise? The power of our intellect, the power of reason, or are we going to look at the power of God? And guys, you have that same choice in decisions in your life every day of the week. You see, guys, let's look at a couple passages here. Before we read them, I want to ask a question. Does anybody have any sin they have a problem dealing with? You don't have to raise your hand. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty, buddy. <laughs> um, everybody has a sin. If you're honest, you have trouble dealing with. I don't care whether it's cussing, smoking, drinking, uh, lust, um, laziness, uh, anger. Okay? Everybody has something in their life that they look at and they go, I, I'm just plagued by it. It haunts me. It dominates me. I try and I can't get past it. 
I see heads shaking. Thank you for the confirmation there. Guys, look at these two passages here, because this is talking about sin. This is talking about our struggle. The first one's in Romans chapter 6, and this is what he says. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ... We were set free from the power of sin. Now my question is, do you believe it? You see, because when you think about your struggle, when you think about the sin that dominates you, this just said that when you died with Christ, talking about when you were baptized, sin might lose its power in your life. Do you understand that the only power sin has in life is the power you give it? You see, guys, it is amazing to me. I mean, you know, as a young man, lust was a continual problem. I know I'm not, I know I'm not alone in that. Okay, and you look down, you're finally just like... You get to the point, kind of like another comparison to somebody smoking. You know, now I've heard people smoking. Uh, I've heard people say that they've... People who work with drug addicts, they, they've had people give up heroin who could not quit smoking. Okay, smoking is just that strong of a physical as well as a mental addiction. But if you've ever known a smoker, you've known that. And they, they try and they try and they quit and they go back and they try and they go back. And they finally just go, what's the point? Okay, why well, try? That was, I got to that point with lust, like, what's the point? I have no power to deal with this. I don't know. I've done everything I know to do myself. Tried to make myself feel guilty. Tried to make myself accountable. Had an accountability partner. And guess what? I still struggled. And I got to the point where, can I tell you I don't have that struggle anymore? Probably because I'm 50 and the reality of life sets in. But No, because it's been gone for a long time. Okay? It's been gone for a long time. And honestly, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, I am tempted with lust on a near daily basis. And honestly, I can tell you, I'll be driving down the road and I will laugh. Because I'm like, can't you come up with something better than that? You know, why are you still tr- trying to tempt me with lust when I don't go there? Even if I think I want to go there, I can't go there. It's lost its power. Guys, that's what this is talking about. I want to know. Do you believe that you have the pa- that sin really has no power in your life? That's what this is saying. Look at this. Look at this next passage in Colossians chapter 2. And this is talking about when Jesus died on the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, He stripped the rulers and authorities. Now, he's talking about the spiritual rulers. He's talking about Satan and his, 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 his forces. He stripped the rulers and authorities of their power and made a public spectacle of them spectacle of them as he celebrated his victory in Jesus. Now I understand that, guys. It's not a flip of the switch where you go, oh, he's got no more power and I'm never gonna sin again. I wish that was the way it worked. I wish that really was. But the truth is, if you don't believe this, you'll give up. If you don't believe what God says, you'll just give up and continue to live under the power of sin. So it's a matter of you choosing what you believe. You have to look at what God says and say, do I believe that or not? Which am I going to believe? You see, guys, when it comes to the power of God, we tend to swing to extremes, and it's an all-or-nothing proposition. There's a, there's a passage in John chapter 14 that I believe we, we, we really struggle with and need some explanation. And it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. See, now guys, when you read that, that's pretty cool. And then you want to go, does that mean anything? Yeah, well then why haven't I won the lottery yet? You know, and honestly, when we think about, we see this verse, and we know that we know it. Just, obviously, it doesn't mean whatever we want, and that's why he says in his name. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. We tend to be more like when we talk about when our prayers. We tend to be more like Bruce Almighty. Okay, you remember the show Bruce Almighty, the movie, John Kerry, and God, Morgan Freeman, decided to give him the power. You know, and they played the song. I've got the power. And he's running around doing whatever he wants, you know. Girl walks by and he flips her skirt up. What? You know, he sees the clothes in the mannequin and he switches them with him. You know, he's having a date with his girlfriend and he lassoes the moon and pulls it in closer. Causes a tsunami. You know, whatever he wants, he can do. And we know that is not how God works, correct? God, because I haven't won the lottery. It, I don't pray for the lottery. Why? Why not? Because there's this little thing. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask for anything in my name. And what that means is, in my name, it doesn't mean at the end of your prayer you say, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay? That's not what it says. That's not what it's meaning. What it's meaning is, you ask for anything that I would want. You ask for what I want in your life, and you're going to get it. You see, I don't believe God... God has never taken temptation away from me. I've prayed for that. Now, that would seem like a reasonable request, wouldn't it? God, take it away. Okay? You don't want to know why? That's not what God wants in my life. God doesn't want me to be temptation-free. God wants me to be temptation-resistant. And if I'm going to be temptation-resistant, what has to happen? I have to face temptation and resist and understand that I have the power to do that. Guys, it was, it was, it was so encouraging. Alan was telling me about one of the guys he's working with. Uh, calling him recently and saying, you know, he just had this real epiphany and he says, I have quit praying for God to bless what I'm doing. And I'm starting to pray for God to show me what He wants me to do. Which do you think is going to be more powerful? Which do you think God is going to act powerfully in? I can tell you. When you decide you want to do what God wants you to do, and you want to know what He wants you to do, you're going to have power. Guys, a challenging thought. And this we don't like, but it's that God's power is displayed in my weaknesses. God's power is displayed in my weaknesses. I put this in here because when we speak of power and living powerful lives, we think about what we can do on our own. And we think about what God wants us to do. And I am one who thinks about how I, what I'm capable of. And the truth is, guys, that God is more powerful when I'm incapable of doing things. I was, I was, this morning my wife and I were walking, walking into the building and uh, Mike Denius was walking in as well. And Mike said, how you doing? And I forget what I said even. But then I said, well, I'm 50 overweight and tired. I mean, it's the reality of my existence right now. I can't do what I used to do. That's just all there is to it. I can't stay up late. Unless I want to be a wreck for three days. And when I mean late, I'm talking, much, no, 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 10 o'clock. 
Once we get past ten, I'm in dangerous territory. Seriously? Seriously. You know, you get past eleven and we need to call 911. I can't do what I used to do. Now, I want to tell you, I have never been more spiritually aware, had more spiritual desire, had more spiritual drive, had more dreams for the kingdom of God and what I can do. And I can do less than I've ever done before. And I believe that that is exactly how God wants it to be. Because he doesn't want it to rest upon my ability. He wants it to rest upon his power. Look at these verses, guys. There's two verses here. One that's written in general that applies to all of us, and the other is Paul's talking about himself. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You see, guys, we tend to minimize our weaknesses. We tend to want to hide them and keep them away from ourselves and not expose them. And weaknesses is how God's work. Then in 2 Corinthians 12, this is what he says. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. You see, guys, weaknesses are an opportunity for God's power to be seen. Now, I don't know what weaknesses you see in your life. Okay? But those weaknesses are where God's trying to show His power. We tend to want to say, let's make them go away. God doesn't work that way. Guys, do you believe that? That is the question I ask. Guys, you see, because whatever I believe is going to either limit or release God's power in my life. You're going to have God's power released in your life to live a victorious life in a powerful way for Him, or you're going to be like the people in 2 Timothy 5, where though you may act religious, you're going to reject God's power. You're going to restrict His power. And it's all a matter of what you believe. Next week, we're going to be talking specifically about the, our belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Because that is what the, first, the, the people in the book of Acts kind of focused on. That's one of the things that jumped out at me. Is how much they talked about the resurrection. And we're going to cha- hopefully challenge what you believe about that. Because there's some incredibly cool and powerful things about trusting, believing what happened at the resurrection. But guys, as I'm closing out, I want to tell you a story. In, uh, in Mark chapter 9, I believe it is, there's a story of a, of a man that brought a de- his son was demon-possessed to, to Jesus' disciples, asked him to cast out the demon. The, uh, they couldn't cast it out. Jesus comes down from the mountain. He says, I, I brought my son to, to, to your disciples to cast out the demon. They couldn't cast out the demon. If you can do it, you know, would you? If you can. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus looks at him and goes, if you can. You know, like, do you realize what you're asking? If I can. And the, he goes, he says, Jesus says, if you can, anything is possible for him who believes. And the man's re- reply, I love it. He says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. You see, guys, he made a decision that he was going to believe. He chose that he was going to believe what Jesus said. And guys, as I close out this morning, I, I just want to I want to challenge you to say, do you believe what God says? And look at your life, and if you go, I don't feel like I have a very powerful life. I don't feel like God's power is seen in my life. You need to check out what you believe. You need to check out if you're believing what Jesus says. You see, a lot of us, we read our Bibles about every day. The question is, when you read it, do you go, I believe it, now I'm going to act differently. 
I believe it. Now, how am I going to act? Guys, that's when things get powerful. And I've shared this before. I've shared it before. Marriage has been a struggle. I don't care. We've been married. It'll be 24 years this September. And it has been a struggle. And it has been a struggle because I've been selfish. And I can still remember going through, I was wrestling with this, and I was wrestling with my thoughts and my expectations and my dreams. And I looked at what God had to say. And you know, God never promised that He'd satisfy my dreams. God never said He'd satisfy my fantasy of marriage. God never told me that He would give me a wife the way I want her. You don't look in the Bible. You don't find it. That promise is not there. I looked. It is not there. What I found is what God said. You know, what God has to say about marriage to me, Gary. Here's the kind of husband I want you to be. That's all He says to me about marriage. Now, do I believe that that's what he wants me to give my attention to and that's what he wants me to focus on? If I do, guess what? I'm going to act differently. I had to choose to kill my dreams. Because they were unrealistic. They were wrong. They were selfish. I have had to choose to love the way God tells me to love, regardless of how I feel. I have had to choose to do things that I don't want to do. Why? Because I'm selfish. And my selfishness continues to die through me believing what God tells me about marriage. Guys, the question is, do you believe what God says? What are you believing about what God says? And as we close out today, I just want to ask you to really examine the power that's in your life and to check out what you're believing. Let's pray.